0: Luke chapter 21 is where we're at, verses 1 through 28. I'm going to read all of these verses. Please follow along in your Bible. Luke chapter 21, verses 1 through 28. Jesus looked up and saw the rich putting their gifts into the offering box. And he saw the poor widow put in two small copper coins. And he said, truly I tell you, this poor widow has put in more than all of them. For they all contributed out of their abundance, but she gave out of her poverty all she had to live on. And while some were speaking of the temple, how it it was adorned with noble stones and offerings, he said, as for these things that you see, the days will come when there will not be one left here, one, one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. And they asked him, teacher, when will these things be? And what will be the sign when these Things are about to take place. And he said, See that you are not led astray, for many will come in my name saying, I am he, and the time is at hand. Do not go after them. And when you hear of wars and tumults, do not be afraid, for these things must first take place, but the end will not come, not be at once. And he said to them, Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be great earthquakes in various places, famines and pestilence, and there will be terrors and great signs from heaven. But before all of this, they will lay their hands on you and persecute you, delivering, up, de- delivering you up to the synagogues and prisons, and you will be brought before kings and governors for my name's sake. They will be your opportunity to bear, this will be your opportunity to bear witness. Settle it, therefore, in your minds, not to meditate beforehand how to answer, for I will give you a, whiz, a mouth and, a, and wisdom which none of your adversaries will be able to withstand or contradict. You will be delivered up, even by parents and brothers and relatives and friends, and some of you they will put to death. You will be hated by all for my name's sake. But not a head not a hair of your head will perish. By your endurance, you will gain your lives. But when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, then know that its desolation has come near. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let those who are inside the city depart. Let not those who are out in the country enter it. For these are days of vengeance to fulfill all that is written, alas, for women who are pregnant. And for those who are nursing infants in those days, for there will be great distress upon the earth and wrath against the people. They will fall by the edge of the sword and be led captive among all nations. And Jerusalem will be trampled underfoot by the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. And there will be signs in the sun and moon and stars and on the earth, distress of nations and perplexity because of the roaring of the sea and the waves. People fainting with fear and and with foreboding of what is coming on the world. For the powers of the heavens will be shaken. And they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. Now when these things begin to take place, straighten up and raise your heads because your redemption is drawing near. I want to preach to you this morning on this text under the title, Where is Hope? Where is hope? Let's pray and ask God for his help this morning. God, we do come before you, recognizing that this is your word for us today. We ask that you would speak to us through your word. I pray that we would experience Jesus through your word. Help me as the preacher, to preach your truth, not my ideas. Help this congregation receive it with passion, with delight, and as truth. Open our hearts this morning. Do a work in us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. A man who would visit... The the state of Maine, every summer, would tell his friends back home of a little town in Maine called Flagstaff. He would explain that this town was going to be flooded as part of a large lake for a dam that it was to be built. And in this little town, months before it was flooded, repairs and all improvements ceased. He would explain to his friends, why paint a house if it were to be covered with water in six months? Why repair anything when the whole village was to be wiped out? So, week by week, as the flooding came nearer, the whole town became more and more decrepit. The man would explain this. To his friends, he said, when there is no hope in the future, there is no power in the present. What hope in the future gets you up every morning? What hope do you have that gives you power in the present? As we begin, I'll say it like this, the hope that you have must be a hope beyond hopeful circumstances. G.K. Chesterton once said, hope means hoping when things are hopeless. Think about that. Hope means, just in case you missed it, hope means hoping when things are hopeless, Or, he goes on, it is no virtue at all. As long as matters are really hopeful, hope is mere flattery. It is only when everything is hopeless that hope begins to be a strength. Luke, the Gospel of Luke, which we're studying, was written in the mid-60s A.D., Roughly 30-some years after Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection and ascension. In the mid-60s AD, Nero was reigning as emperor of Rome. I don't know if you know anything about Nero. But life for Christians was not nice under the reign of Nero. Let's talk about when this book was written the Apostle Paul was locked up. This book was written just a a couple years before Paul's head would be chopped off. Paul's standing before the courts. He's being questioned. He's being asked. He's put on on trial. And that's just a picture of what was going on throughout throughout, throughout the whole empire of Rome, which included Jerusalem and all surrounding areas. Nero was reigning. Under the reign of Nero, Christians were hunted, captured, imprisoned, persecuted, thrown into prison, tortured, burned alive. Nero would take Christians and strap them to poles around his palace and light them on fire and burn them as torches for his dinner parties to impress his guests what hope what hope did they have what hope did they have as they lived as they lived in this world in just a couple years after the writing of luke Rome would come in and completely destroy Jerusalem. What hope do they have when the temple is being destroyed? Where is hope for you this morning? Now, today Nero isn't in charge. Things are a little different, the laws are different, society's different. Some would say that it's easier to be a Christian today than it was then, at least in America. It's a little more comfortable. It's easier to work a job and keep your family intact and, and have a house and, and uh, have some nice things and still be a Christian. It's a little easier in this world. However, that, that doesn't necessarily mean that we have then moved into a society where hope abounds and that we can just simply look around the world and say, oh, it's arrived. Do you know why? We still have what I'm going to call the problem of pain. The problem of pain. Meaning we can change laws, but it's not until we deal with the problem of pain that we can really see the, 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 the fruition of, of some kind of Hope. We have the pain of injustice. We deal with the pain of racism. We deal with the pain of the effects of racism. The effects of Jim Crow laws and predatory lending and redlining. Even in our own day, police brutality. The pain of a friend abandoning you. The pain of natural disasters. My wife's family in the Bahamas, there's an island that they live on that still hasn't been rebuilt and there's no electricity since the massive hurricane they had a number of months ago. The pain of our own sin and the effects and consequences of our own sin, the consequences of drug addiction, the consequences of sexual sins, the consequences of, of giving our lives over to Things that are destructive. The pain of sickness and the pain of disease. Your father is diagnosed with terminal cancer. That's pain. That's pain. My point is this tell somebody, tell somebody who's lost their wife they've lost their children, their their mama's got liver disease and is dying, they feel alone in this world, tell them that it's easier today to have hope than it was 2,000 years ago under the reign of Nero. My point is this. We can change some things politically, but it ain't easier to have hope. Why? It's because we still deal with the problem of pain. So whether the pain is the persecution Coming from Nero, or whether your pain is a natural disaster, pain is pain is pain. Are you tracking with me? Yes. And that creates a sense of hopelessness and despair, and in our world today, hopelessness abounds. Maybe like never before. Maybe because we're supposed to have hope. Maybe because things are supposed to be so good and so easy. We're supposed to have so many luxuries, and we, we still deal with pain. And so hopelessness abounds, in, in some sense, I think hopelessness abounds even more when you actually have some things and you're still dealing with pain. And so we've got addiction like never before. We've got suicide. We've got violence. We see it in the anger of the people. We see it in escapism and using whatever substance we can use or sexual immorality or however we can escape. We see hopelessness abound. Here's the point of my message today. Hope doesn't come from this world. Hope comes from heaven. I'll say it again. Hope doesn't come from where? Hope comes from. This passage that we're dealing with is notoriously confusing because we're dealing with two different events. Jesus threads two events together. Let me give you the events. The fall of Jerusalem, A.D. 70. Remember that. What did I say to remember? The fall of Jerusalem, what year? A.D. 70, not 1870. A.D., 70 A.D., the fall of Jerusalem. The second event that he deals with is the second coming. Now, one of these events has already happened. Which one? The fall of Jerusalem in what year? Seventy. The other event has yet to come, and that is the second coming of Jesus Christ. He threads these two events together and talks of them almost as one. So that's what makes it really confusing. But it's actually very similar to the way prophecy is often spoke of. One is a picture of the other. Something that happens on earth is just a glimpse of a greater reality that is still to come. So the fall of Jerusalem in AD is a picture then of what? The second coming of Jesus Christ. That's why he threads them together. If you imagine it like a mountain range, from a distance it looks like one big mountain in the shadows, in the distance, in the dark. You get closer, and what you discover is that there is a smaller mountain that you didn't quite see clearly, and that is the fall of Jerusalem in 70 A.D. That's what we'll call this first small mountain. And now what stands before you, now that we've passed that mountain, is this great big mountain that we have yet to arrive at, and that is what we'll call the second coming of Jesus Christ Mountain. Are you tracking with me? We're dealing with these two mountains. We're dealing with these two events in one passage. And it teaches us one thing. And that is this. Hope is not found in this earth. Hope comes from heaven. The passage begins in verses 1 through 4 with a short story. They're in Jerusalem. They're looking around Jesus and his disciples. And they go to the temple. And there at the temple, they see people coming with their offerings. The rich come with their offerings. And we assume they put in a good bit of money. And then there's a poor widow who comes. A poor widow would have been the poorest of all people in their society. She puts in two copper coins. Each one of these coins would be worth about one eighth of a penny. She puts in these two coins. Jesus points it out. He says in verse 4, they all contributed out of their abundance, but she out of her poverty put in all she had to live on. What's Jesus saying? Jesus is saying, yeah, the rich, they gave a good chunk of money. She only gave two... Copper coins. But which gift cost more? Think of it this way. The rich, maybe they put in a big gift of $10,000. And they make $500,000 a year. That's a nice chunk of money. Praise the Lord for that. It's 2% of their income. She gave two small copper coins. And it was 100%. Which one costs more? Which one demonstrates the heart? I think this sets us up for the very next passage. It's a small little story that sets us up to say, following Jesus costs you everything that you are. And this poor widow is an example for us of what it looks like to follow Jesus Christ. As he goes on, the story immediately turns And the disciples are drooling over the temple. The temple, according to one historian, was immensely opulent. They're looking at the temple in verse 5, and they're looking at the noble stones and the offerings. The temple was beautiful. It was a sign of wealth. It was a sign of riches. Fine linens covering the temple. Grape clusters on the wall. It was a magnificent sight. Jesus then, in verse 6, throws cold water on their drooling over the temple. He says in verse 6, As for these things that you see, the days will come when there will not be one stone left upon the other. Jesus is saying, you see all this wealth, you see all this riches, you see all this beauty. It is all going to be destroyed. It's all fallen down. It's all coming down. Where is hope? Where is hope? First answer, it is not in wealth. It is not in the riches of the world. The rich, in verse 1 and 4, are no better in Jesus' eyes than the poor widow. It's not in wealth. The temple, as glorious as it is, it's all about the fall. Jesus is saying, don't let riches impress you. Hope is not found there. Isaiah chapter 40, verse 8, you might know this verse. It says, The grass withers and the flowers fall. You know, isn't this the shock of the death of Kobe? I mean, 41 year olds die. Kobe is a shock. I think it's partly partly due to this fact. He was great. A a legend, a living legend before our eyes, one of the greatest basketball players we've seen. A household name, loved by millions. A family man, loved his daughters. He was great. And as his funeral now approaches, what we're reminded of is this, is greatness in the world does not prevent tragedy from striking. Our hope is not in this world. It's not in what this world can give us in wealth. It's not in what this world can give us in riches. Greatness is as grass that withers. Greatness is as flowers that fall. He goes on in verse 8. They ask, when will this be? When is this going to happen? Now Jesus turns from that first mountain to the second mountain. He turns his thinking from Jerusalem now to the second coming. And Jesus says this, don't look, don't look for signs. Don't be looking for signs. In verse 8, there are false messiahs that are going to come along. And they're going to uh, uh, claim to speak for Christ. Don't listen to them. They won't bring about the end. Verse 9 and 10, there's going to be wars. There's going to be rumors of wars. Even still, it's not the end. Like, chill out. Just because there's wars happening doesn't mean the end is upon us. Verse 11, there's natural disasters. There's earthquakes, pestilence. Chill out. It doesn't mean the end is upon us. That's, that's how I think, how he wants us to read the text. Meaning, what's the last 2,000 years of human history been? Wars, rumors of, rumors of wars, earthquakes, hurricanes, yeah. right? D- meaning these aren't signs that they're, it's about to happen. He's saying this is what life is going to be like. Yeah. And it's not the end. It's not signs of the end. And by the way, there's still more. Jesus says it's about to get worse. Mm-hmm. It's still about to get worse. Before the end, even after all of that, before the end comes, He continues in verses 12 through 19 that there is going to be great persecution. Now remember, this is written during the reign of Nero. This is written as Paul is being questioned. And he says in verse 12, they will persecute you, throw you in prison, bring you into court. Verses 16 and 17, betrayed by brothers and sisters, hated by the world. Great persecution, but also great opportunity to rely on God. Verse 13, he says this will be your opportunity to bear witness. As these things happen, as you're persecuted, this is an opportunity I am giving you to be a witness of who he is. Verse 15, I'll help you, I'll give you the words to say, through your perseverance, I'm I'm going to save you. You won't ultimately be harmed. It's crazy. In verse 17, he says, you're gonna die. The very next breath he says, but not a hair on your head is going to be harmed. You will not perish. Through your endurance, you will live. This isn't just physical life, is it? No, you will die. But you will live. Yeah. You will live through your perseverance and your faith. You will live. Through your your endurance, during this persecution, during this torture, you will live. As one person put it, quiet, brave, patience in all difficulty, perplexity, and danger was the attitude pressed upon the believers of the first days. The point I want to make here is this, hope While it's not found in riches, hope also is not found in earthly acceptance. It is not found in earthly acceptance. You might not be popular at your middle school. You might not have the most TikTok followers (laughs) or likes on your Instagram. Saints, you might be rejected by your friends because of your faith. You might be laughed at. You might be made fun of because you don't participate is some of the things that people participate in. You might be left out because you don't bow your knee to the gods of this world. I want to say this to all of you. That's okay. It's okay because your hope is not in earthly acceptance. God is sovereign. He's sovereign over your opposition. He's sovereign over your enemies. He's sovereign over those who persecute you. God is sovereign, and He is orchestrating all of the opposition to give you a moment, to give you an opportunity to bear witness to Him. Do you understand that your suffering inspires others to share Jesus Christ, to be missionaries, to be evangelists for Him? In 1981, there was a man named Chet Bootman. Was a Chet was a missionary uh, in Colombia with with the Wy- Wycliffe uh, Wycliffe Bible translators. And Chet was murdered by a gang known as M19 out of Colombia. And M19 was sending a message to the Wycliffe Bible translators that they need to get their missionary presence out of Colombia. According to Wycliffe Bible Translators, within the following year after his murder, applications to be a missionary with Wycliffe Bible Translators doubled. What's the point? Suffering is an opportunity. Suffering inspires others to share their faith. There's, there's just something about it. As Paul's put on trial, others are standing up standing stronger in christ this was the story of the early church this is our story as the church it's because our hope is not in earthly acceptance i want to give you a third point i see in this text and that is this our hope is also not in military or political strength in verses 20 through 24 he turns back to that first mountain what's the first mountain The fall of Jerusalem in 70 A.D. He turns back to that and he says, when you see Jerusalem surrounded by uh, uh, armies, know that its desolation has come near. Now listen, the fall of Jerusalem was a horrible event. According to historians, 97,000 Jews were taken prisoner. 1.1 million Jews were killed. It was so bad that the starvation of the people led them to cooking their own children for food. Now, normally, during an attack, you would rush into the city to have the protection of the city walls. What happened in this attack was this, according to the historian Eusebius, as Rome attacked, the Christians did not run into the city. But the Christians took off and ran away into the countryside. Eusebius said that the Christians did this because of an oracle given by Revelation. What was that oracle given by Revelation? Uh, Verses 20-24. through Here, in verse 21, we read, let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains and let those who are inside the city depart and let not those who are out in the country enter it because the city is about to fall. The Christians took this literally and it was a literal fulfillment of God's word. We gotta, I, I'm, I'm going to get ahead of myself, but if God fulfilled verses 20 through 24, In time past. And then we immediately are going to turn to 25 through 28. Don't you think he's going to fulfill that as well? Let's just pause that, All right, Let's just pause that. Verse 24. Jesus explains that everybody's going to die by the sword. They're going to be led captive among the nations. And then he uses this phrase, until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. That's a transitional phrase for Jesus. What he's saying is, is until the end of this era, it's, this is what it's going to be like. Until the end of this era. And then the end will come. That next mountain comes into sight. As Jesus turns his thinking and he says, In that day there will be signs in the sun and in the moon and in the stars and on the earth. In that day the earth will melt according to Revelation. In that day the nations will freak out, they will go psycho, they will be in despair. The people in that day will faint in fear. Why? Verse 16. For the powers of heaven are shaken. A day of glory and a day of dread. Jesus is the forgiver of sins. Amen? Listen, if you're not a Christian, one thing I want you to know is this. Jesus right now offers you salvation. He died on the cross for your sins. He took the wrath of God for your sins. Three days later, Jesus rose from the dead. And you're called to turn from your sins and trust in Him and have the forgiveness of your sins and life everlasting. But we want you to know that Jesus is not simply a forgiver of sins. As wonderful as that is. What we're seeing here is this. That Jesus is more than one who forgives sins. But Jesus is, in fact, the king who also is going to come with the power of heaven. That's the picture we see. In that day, this king is going to come. When I was a kid, we played this game called King of the Hill. I don't know if you played it growing up, but we would literally stand on top of a hill. Like whenever we found a mound, we had to play it, a little hill. And we would push each other off the hill, and whoever could remain standing on top of the hill was considered the king of the hill. And we played it until somebody got a bloody nose and ran to mama, you know? This is, this is life, all right? Everybody wants to be the king of the hill. Everybody is jockeying for position. Everybody is pushing you down the hill. Everybody is trying to to take their place as the authority figure in life. Where does hope come from? Who is the king? Where do we find hope, church? What have we seen so far in this text? I mean, you might even say, Joel, like, uh, you began with this question of hope, and so far we haven't seen any hope. Where is hope? Where is hope in this text? Well, we've seen where it's not. Hope is not in wealth. Hope is, 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 is not in acceptance by people. Hope is not in the government. We got to stop in in every election season. We got to stop believing that getting the Democrats into office is hope or getting the Republicans into the office is hope. Hope is not in politics. Where is hope? Where is hope when riches fail you? Where is hope when acceptance proves to be shallow? Where is hope when governments and kingdoms collapse? One old hymn writer put it this way. Kings and kingdoms will all pass away. Kings and kingdoms, sing it with me, will all pass away but there's something come on church about that name there is hope beyond the kings and the kingdoms of this world where is hope here it is look at verses 27 and 28. and then they will see the son of man coming in a cloud with power and great glory Now when these things begin to take place, straighten up and raise your heads because your redemption is drawing near. The Son of Man is the focus here. Who is the Son of Man? That is a nickname for Jesus Christ. The Son of Man coming. This is to say that He is the head of these redeemed people. He is the head of the new humanity. This is a focus on His kingship, on His reign. Question. Where does he get his reign from? Where does he get his power from? Where does he get his authority from? Well, it says he's coming in on a cloud. Is this just like a little detail? Like Jesus is just like surfing a cloud? Riding like a donkey? What does it mean that Jesus is coming back in a cloud? Well, let's think about it. Let's go all the way back to the Exodus. The people were enslaved in Egypt. There there was nothing about their external surroundings that would give them hope. It was an utterly hopeless situation. But in chapter two of Exodus, it says, the Lord knew and the Lord heard their cry. God had a plan to deliver his people From Exodus. Or from Egypt. And as the story goes on, a cloud appears and stands between Egypt and the Israelites as the Red Sea opens and they walk across on dry ground and that cloud stays with the people for 40 years leading them through the wilderness. The point is this. It was the power that came from on high that saved the people. Their hope was not in anything that they could find in Egypt. Their hope was not in anything that they could find in their own strength. Their hope was not in their military power. Their hope was not in their numbers. Their hope was in what? Their hope was in the power that was associated with this cloud. Jesus is coming back on a cloud. This is the final exodus. It's the final deliverance. He's coming back with authority. Listen, humans play this game. King of the hill all the time. Pushing each other off. Jockeying for position. And we're wondering where is hope with all of this violence? Where is hope? Hope in all of this mess. It doesn't come from the earth. It comes from above. And He comes down as the King. The hope is in. Our hope is in heaven. The power that Jesus comes is a power from heaven, not earth. The, 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 The force that He comes with is otherworldly his reign is eternal his rule is perfect his strength is unmatched his crowning comes from God himself and so what is our response what is our response he says in verse 28 straighten up Raise your heads, because redemption is drawing near, meaning it's upon you. It is here. It has arrived. While the world cowers in fear of this moment, for us, we see our hope appear. Now imagine with me, the Christian living in the mid-60s A.D., Under the reign of Nero. They they are hunted. They're hiding. They're caught. They're questioned. They're thrown into prison. They're facing their own excruciating death. Being burned alive at the stake. Imagine the believer. Living in the mountains. Homeless. Hiding out. Starving. Is he worth it? Is is it, is, it, is it all worth it? Saints, is it worth it today? As you stay faithful, even if you lose your job. Is it worth it as loved ones turn their back on you? Is it worth it as you're sold out and turned over by your friends? Is it worth it as enemies persecute you? Is it worth it as as you trust God and you don't participate in some of the things that the world offers you? Is it worth it as life is filled with with pain and with suffering? Is it worth it? This past December, I went to the Ravens game uh, uh, versus the Jets with David Scott. And at that game, our quarterback, Lamar Jackson, uh, uh, broke the quarterback rushing record. And of course, everybody goes crazy and Jets uh, players are getting his autograph after the game. He was interviewed after the game and some, uh, a reporter asked him, what went through your mind as you broke the record? Lamar said, I just wanted to beat the Jets. Listen, don't you understand that That his focus was not on the accolades. His focus was not on human praise. His focus was not on the uh, the reward of, of some. He just wanted to run the race that was set before him. He wanted to beat the Jets. He wanted to win. Church, our hope is not in the accolades of human praise. Our hope is not getting approval by people. It's not uh, about what we can receive in this world. Our hope is in the finish line. We set our eyes on that goal. We we endure until the end when we see Jesus face to face. That is our win. That is our hope. Hoping is really only realized when the world around us feels hopeless. When things seem hopeful, there's no need to have hope. Hope is practiced when things do not look hopeful. What do you say to Christians then in the middle of Nero's reign? What do you say to the Apostle Paul as he's standing before Felix being tried? What do you say to Christians who are persecuted and arrested? What do you say to somebody whose job isn't working out for them? What do you say to a Christian whose health is failing them? What do you say to a believer who lost her family and beauty fades and cancer is diagnosed? What do you say to someone who's suffering? What do you say to somebody who's lost in this world? Where is hope? Where is hope? Where is hope when we're all just going to die anyway? Where Where is hope when everything is just decaying? Where is hope when the grass withers and the flowers fall? Here it is. Behold, he comes, riding on the clouds, shining like the sun at the trumpet call, And there's a response. So lift your voice. It's the year of Jubilee. Out of Zion's hill. Where does salvation come? Where does our salvation come? It doesn't come from this world. It's not in Jerusalem. It's not in riches. It's not in the authority of man. It's not in the voting booth. The grass withers. And the flowers fall but the Word of God endures forever. Where is your hope, church? Is your hope in the Lord? Is your hope found in heaven? Can you say with me, my hope is in heaven. My hope is in the Son of Man. My hope comes on a cloud. My hope is in the redemption of all things. My hope is in the Lord. That is where we have hope. Behold Him. Behold Him. When that day comes, see Him. Look up. Hope has arrived. Amen. 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 Let's pray. Father, we thank You. We thank You for Your Word. We thank You for the fact that we do have hope. Even when things look hopeless, we have hope. Because hope is in heaven. And we eagerly await that moment when Jesus comes again. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.